for and draw you, just as we were singing so close, closer to Him and give you a brave heart to step out and let the Lord occupy territory that He hasn't occupied. Bring forth giftings in your life, each and every one of you that are saved, that, that have asked Jesus to come in, be Christ, be Lord of your life. He's come in, as John the Baptist prophesied, as the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire, which means that we have the book of Acts as our model of what that looks like when it happens. And that when you read about those men and women in Acts, you don't read it as a past historical account of the way God used to do things, but you read it as a manual, a divine manual of how God wants to work in your life. So when I read about Peter walking down the street in the book of Acts, and they were laying sick people in the street so that a shadow would pass over and they'd get healed. Peter didn't come up with that. Peter didn't put out a flyer. I'm going to be walking down the street, this particular street at this time. You got any sick people, lay them out. I have a special gift. My shadow heals people. There's no indication that any of that nonsense went on. They just knew Jesus was with these guys. And, you know, you start out and it's, you see Peter and John. And, but eventually you realize, wow, it's not just Peter and John. It's Philip, who was just a deacon. And I don't mean to say just a deacon, because believe me, in a small church, you really appreciate the deacons. But um, every believer. And the Bible says that these things, these signs, these ministries were given to all of the believers to make Jesus known. And so that's what this series is all about. And uh, I call it Our Signs. We take our text from Psalm 74.9, and I'll do a quick little review. Psalm 74.9 says, and it's a, it's a lamentation. The, the psalmist is crying out because this condition he sees in Israel. And he cries out and says, we do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, the, the, the prophets who prophesied. And there is none among us who knows how long or how long is this going to go on. So there was a sense that being Israel, they were the people of God. And there were to be indicative signs operating among them that God was with them. And they were living and existing under his favor. And we know that in the days of of Israel and the Old Covenant, when they would walk in obedience with God, those signs would manifest in a most spectacular way throughout history. Um, and when they would drift away from God and worship idols and stop serving the Lord, those signs of His presence would stop. And so this was obviously written during a time of the absence of God's presence because they were in disobedience. We don't see our signs. So, this is a cry over the loss of Israel's supernatural signs of God's presence. And the absence of their signs was evidence that they had, as I said, drifted away from God, lost his favor, and their unique identity among the nations. God has always distinguished his people with divine works that attest that he's there doing it. He's with them. His favor is with them. Um, but hundreds of years later, the Messiah came. And when Jesus rose from the dead, and shortly after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit entered the world. On the day of Pentecost, in the upper room is where it began. And the New Testament church was born with supernatural signs embedded in, in it. In that experience of the birth of the church, supernatural signs and wonders naturally begin to emanate. And the difference is, um, that the signs in the Old Testament would descend or come upon them like manna, like the cloud of glory and the pillar of fire, like the Red Sea parting. They would happen out there in nature like their enemies turning on one another. Um, but in the New Testament, the signs of the New Testament emanated from within the believer. And Jesus told them it was going to be like this. He said, the kingdom of God's within you. You're going to find out soon enough out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, and this he spake of the Spirit, the Bible goes on to say. 
Most of us are familiar with 1 Peter 2.9 that says, but you are a chosen race. So this is the mindset that you and I need to have as Christians. When you got saved, I, was, I transferred my membership from the tribe of atheism, knowing nothing about God, having never prayed, never opened a Bible in my life, had no idea who Jesus was, within moments being a born-again child of God. And others have come through different paths in different ways, but regardless of how you got there or where you were before, when you become a Christian, you become a one of a chosen race, a new creation. Peter goes on to say, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now listen, a people for God's own possession so that you can show forth the excellencies or the powers or the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so what Peter's trying to say to us is that God has saved you, set you apart. And whereas you were once born in, uh, Jesse, where were you born? Where were you born, Jesse? Rochester, New York. Rochester. Say it one more time. Rochester. Roch I want to hear that little accent, although we grew up in Boston. Giselle, where were you born? Norwich, don't you know? And Terry? St. Louis, Missouri. All right, so we've all, you know, I was born in uh, Würzburg, Germany. Anybody born in Würzburg, Germany? No? <laughs> Didn't think so. So at any rate, the point is, we all have an earthly beginning point. But that no longer, that stopped being our, our primary identity. When we became Christians, we became a holy nation, a royal priesthood a people for God's own possession. Before that, I, was, I possessed my own life. I was possessed with my own interests and, and did everything I could do to prepare for my life or ruin it, whatever the case was, uh, along the way. But when we become saved, um, our origin changes, our citizenship changes, and we are no longer from Rochester or from Würzburg or wherever. We're from above, seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're from heaven. So we need that orientation because Peter says here, you're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a peculiar people to show forth. We need to have the attitude that I exist to shine, to show forth, to demonstrate the signs of God, the signs of God. That's why I'm set apart, so that God can show forth his signs through me. Now, the body of Christ was called the Church of Acts, back when the Acts of the Apostles was written by Luke the Apostle, because God's acts through its members were signs that their life came from above, came from heaven. Acts of the Apostles. Those acts, every one of them, though there were natural collations, for example... Many people were healed through the ministry of the apostles. Is that not right? But people could, people could get healed through herbs or the medical practices. It, it's not, it's, it's, uh, not exclusively God's business, healing. God has provided healing all over the place. We saw supernatural demonstrations of the Spirit that um, probably most every one of them could be explained away naturally if that was... You know, if you were apt to do that and you wanted to explain them away, you certainly could. So, but the idea is that the, it, the church of acts was a church of action and not a church of committee action, but a church of, are you listening to me, of supernatural action that originates in the heart of every single member that those believers individually had within their heart born into them when they were saved and when they received that anointing to be uh, um, a, a continuation of Jesus' ministry, they received that unction to let God act through them. And that's what this series is all about. We see not our signs. So our signs, while the Old Testament Signs of the church were signs that God is God, and when his people obey him, he's able to be God on their behalf. Our signs say the same thing, but more. The, the signs of the New Testament church say God is in the house. Not just this is the house of God, but God is in the house. You understand the, the difference? 
So, you know, the, the signs of the New Testament church tell the world who we are, who we belong to, where we come from. Now, most church signs today, when you go by, you ever, you ever noticed, it's a, it's a tricky business to try to put on that little sign out front of your church all the things that you want the world to know about your church. So thank God for the internet because you could plaster a gigantic sign on the internet and let them know what, but whether it's a sign out there uh, at the roadside or whether it is a sign in a pamphlet or a sign on the internet, most church signs today um, indicate what denomination they belong to or what theology they serve. And not necessarily signs that say, we come from above. The life in us is a life that comes from above. So most church signs today, in a way, and I don't mean to be uh, disparaging, but most church signs today say, thank you, God. We'll take it from here. Thank you, Jesus. We've got this. Um, but the signs of the true New Testament church tell the world, not just that we're the house of God, but God's in the house. A lot of times you go to the house of God, God's not in the house. So, and that could be, that's been true of us many, many times. Many times we've gathered, we were the house of God, God was not in the house. In the house, in the sense that people could encounter the Lord. His presence was there. You can always keep him out. You can always shut him out. But it's there. You feel that presence is love, the conviction. All of those things are happening. There is no scriptural evidence that God ever intended to turn his heaven-born, spirit-connected church into an earthly institution. There absolutely is no scripture indicating that what we have today is what God had in mind when the church started in Acts chapter 2. Remember, it's a people for his own possession, so they may show forth. That really is the mission statement of the church. People of God's possession showing forth. So showing forth results from being possessed by God, being possessed by the Holy Spirit. We are living signs of what God is doing, not, living, not, not, not signs of what we don't do anymore. Most Christians think that being a sign of being a Christian is we don't drink, we don't do drugs, we don't run around and, and uh, uh, cheat on our husbands and wives, and we don't steal. We don't do any of these things that people in the, that make sinners interesting. Um, we, we don't do that. We're Christians, and that's our sign. But we're not called to be signs of what we don't do. We're called to be signs of what God is doing. Now, it's wonderful to not cheat on your spouse and not lie and not steal, not do the things before that separated you or indicated that you were separated from God. Thank God those, there should be a changed life that manifests. But God wants to manifest so much more than just a changed life. He wants to show up in the house, not just adorn you so you look like the house of God. So if we don't see these signs today, we ought to cry out to God in prayer for reconnection until our signs manifest once again. We really should. That should be a priority to us. Lord, we see not our signs. We want to see the signs. Now, I shared um, two weeks ago the first part, the first two signs, baptism in the Holy Spirit and the sign of joy. I want to continue with the next two signs today. Um, we won't be long, but uh, they're important. And the third sign is the sign of speaking in other tongues. Now, there's a controversial sign for you. Um, but in, uh, in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus has um, risen from the dead, he's not yet ascended uh, uh, in his final ascension, and he's talking to upwards of about four or 500 believers that are gathered out where, outside Jerusalem somewhere. And before he ascends up in, in their full view of all of them, he's making some parting remarks to them. And in those parting remarks, he says in Mark 16, 17, and these signs will accompany those who have believed. So there's the indication that these are signs that aren't flowing from people who are 
in the process of trying to believe, they have believed. These are signs on operating in Christians' lives. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. And he goes on and mentions a few things. I just wanted to read that to get that part where Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe they will speak with new tongues. Now, the baptism or the immersion in the Holy Spirit was the first manifest sign. But what was it a sign of? It was a sign probably of a number of things. And if I polled the congregation this morning, I'd probably get a lot of answers and probably all of them would be correct. But I like this one because I think it distills down the purpose of the sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that is, it, it was the first manifest sign that Jesus was going to continue his ministry through his followers. It was very important that he make that connection with the church, that he did not just come to seek and save that which was lost, but he was working and the Father was working with him. And when he was removed from them bodily, that they were to be handed over to the Holy Spirit and he would continue doing what he had done, only he would now be doing it through many vessels and not just that supreme, unique Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the manifestation of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the book of Acts was written by Luke, who uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke. And um, he writes to a man named Theophilus. Interesting, it, it was both the letter of the Gospel of Luke and the, and the Acts of the Apostles were both letters written to this guy named Theophilus. So he writes the Gospel to Theophilus, and then later he writes the book of Acts. And he opens up in the first chapter as he's giving his greeting. He says, oh, Theophilus, he said, I wrote to you before about all that Jesus began to say and do. And he used the word began to say and do. And now I am writing basically the continuation of what he is continuing to say and do, only you're going to see that he does it through his church, through his people, through his followers. So you've got to get that. Baptism of the Holy Spirit was all about manifesting the, um, the decision of Jesus to continue his ministry through his followers. We have to nail that down. We, we, we need to be very careful that our concept of being a follower of Christ is not narrowed down to, I don't sin, the Lord saved me, I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. Now, that's worth rejoicing over, and we don't want to discount the value of it. That's a true value, but that is not the entire purpose. The ultimate purpose is that we show forth the excellencies. God wants to keep showing the world Jesus is Lord. We should be showing the, the world the resurrected Jesus operating through us. Now, the 120 that were initially gathered in the upper room when the baptism of the Holy Spirit first, first took place, I don't know if you know this, but they weren't sitting there waiting to get saved. They were not in the upper room to get saved. They were saved. They believed on Jesus. In fact, the blood of Jesus had been placed on the mercy seat and was speaking better things concerning them. The New Testament, the New Covenant was in force. They were up there being saved. They would not have qualified to receive the baptism or the mantling of the Holy Spirit had they not been born again. God does not send the Holy Spirit onto unsaved, unregenerated people. In fact, when the Holy Spirit fell, I think it was in Acts 19, on uh, the Roman centurion and his whole household, Peter was standing there watching and, the, and uh, he had shared the gospel with them in order to lead them to Christ. But they in their heart had already received him. Um, and the Bible says that as Peter was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and all of his household, and they began to praise God and speak it. All of a sudden, the same speaking in tongues that happened in Acts chapter 2 happened again in Acts chapter 19. Peter remarks, once they all calmed down, he said, 
who can forbid water that these who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have, should not be baptized? And so he said, let's get them out into the swimming pool and, and we'll baptize them. Praise the Lord. So these guys in the upper room, they were already saved. They were not waiting to get saved. What were they waiting for? They were waiting to get filled before going out to preach. That's exactly what they were waiting on. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not the initial work of the Holy Spirit entering your life to regenerate you from being a sinner to a child of God. That happens when you believe. But what they were waiting for in the upper room was the mantle, Jesus' mantle of ministry, the impartation of power so that when they went out and when they preached, they would not be going without being covered and expressing the power, the supernatural power of God. So accompanying the baptism of the Holy Spirit was this sign of speaking in other tongues. And just to, just to make sure this gets nailed down, speaking in other tongues did not result from the arrival of the Spirit, but from the overflowing of the power of the Spirit. They didn't speak in other tongues as an indication that they had received the Spirit. I know a lot of people who receive the Holy Spirit don't speak in other tongues. Now, when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, as, a, as an atheist converted to Christ just shortly thereafter, I was absolutely convinced you didn't speak in tongues, you did not receive the Holy Spirit. I was, but as years went by, I, I saw a lot of believers. I could tell they had prayed to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, but, but for whatever reason, they never spoke in tongues. So what I want to emphasize is why that anomaly or oddity seems to exist when in the Scriptures we see that when they would experience this outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power, they would all speak in tongues. Why we see sometimes that happens and they don't. It's because tongues is not the indication of the arrival of the Spirit, but of the overflow. Um, if you fill up a glass or, or you've you got a big mug, you're filling it with coffee. I said, I'd like a coffee, please. Make it a, a, a what do they call the large ones? Venti, grande, big, really big thing of coffee. Um, you know, they start putting a little coffee in. You don't stop and say, that's good, that'll be fine. Not at the prices they charge today. You want it what? Fill it up. So it's not just because you start pouring it in doesn't mean it's filled up. And I think a lot of people's lives are like that. God started to pour stuff in, but they haven't hit the critical mass. It's not overflowing. You see, the tongues was indication of the overflowing of the power, not the arrival of the Holy Spirit, but his overflow. They, they were so full, it came out. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So you get that idea. Um, you know, I would like to even take it a step farther and say that tongues isn't the sign that they had received the Spirit. It was the sign that they had received the purpose of the Spirit. The purpose of the Spirit is to be filled to overflowing so that wherever you go, there is an overflow of God's presence flowing out of you. So now you can see why the baptism of the Holy Spirit was meant to be a continuous filling, not a one-time experience. So tongues was indication, I'm so full, it's flowing out. And that's what happened. They got filled to overflowing. Now, <clears throat> what makes people really talk? And I'm not talking about prattling and jibber-jabber and Jesus said you'll give an account for every idle word. But what makes people really open up and lay it out there and talk? The answer is a full heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasury produces evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. And so even Jesus endorsed the idea that the thing that makes people speak is a full heart. You get somebody's heart full, they start talking. And oftentimes people walk around, don't know what to say, don't have anything to say because the heart is three quarts low or divided or mixed. But when your heart is filled with one thing, it's going to come out talking. You, know, you remember when you first fell in love? People 
were nice, but they could barely stand to be around you. Because you were just, bah, 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 bah. she's so this, she's so that, he's so wonderful, da, 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 da. Your boyfriends, girlfriends couldn't stand to be around you. You just got gushing, talking forth, and you just thought you heard birds singing, you saw garlands of flowers swirling around your head as you walked. But what your friends all saw was, what's he on? What's going on with her? Oh, don't mess with They're in love. See, the full heart will speak. And out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart is speaking. So can you see what God's trying to do? God's trying to get us to the state of full heart. Now, the reason I say this is that when I think about tongues and really what it is, the first thing I think is, why, God? It's a weird thing. What's the purpose of it? And it's always good to go ask God, what's, what's the purpose of a thing? You know, God is not as mysterious as you think. Um, just because we're walking around in a fog doesn't make God mysterious. So <clears throat> God's clear. He's sharp, he's smart, and everything he does makes perfect sense. So I think that the, the purpose, if you will, of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and by extension, speaking of the tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit, but let's just stick with just the basic gift of the Holy Spirit, um, is that it, it facilitates... It facil and I'm sorry, speaking in other tongues, the, the purpose of that strange yet divinely ingenious gift is it facil facilitates a twofold purpose of God. The ability to speak and operate beyond your vocabulary. Just think for a moment, let that sink in. Why would it be valuable to be able to speak and to operate beyond your vocabulary. I'm sure all of you have experienced in your life, your heart knows something, but you, you can't put it into words. You, you have a hard time expressing it. You know there are more Christians need to pray, want to pray, and don't because they don't know how to articulate it. They don't know how to get started. They don't know how to get So they just are walking around, and they're frustrated. So... Um, this twofold purpose of speaking in other tongues, purpose number one is, and by the way, if you're taking notes and you don't get some of this, you can have, I can send you, the, I can send you this uh, document or a PDF with all of this on it. Purpose number one of speaking in other tongues is the edification of the individual believers in their own prayer life. Isn't it interesting that upon the arrival of of the baptism in the Holy Spirit to empower the believer, the first manifestation was not a horizontal manifestation of reaching out to people, but a vertical manifestation of communing with the Father. The first manifestation, supernatural manifestation, was the propelling of, of dialogue and fellowship, the opening of communion, and their hearts were bursting, and their minds and their grasp of uh, language was too narrow and too small. God just blew the top off the bottle. Now, that does not mean tongues was not, uh, um, what would you call it, uh, um, out of control. They were they, never in any of the manifestations of the Spirit does God take you over like a puppet and you have no control over a thing. And whenever people have come up to me and said, you know, God was using me. I had no control over it. I always have to sit him down and say, well, we need to examine what spirit was operating in you. But that's beside the point. That's another message. The point is that your edification, your own personal up, upbuilding is the first purpose of praying in this, what we call praying in the spirit or praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 4 says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies, and Chris is an architect. Uh, that would be a word 
that uh, has to do, we get the word edifice from it. It means to build up a house. God is building up you as his house. He lives in you. He dwells in you. And he, it's important that you be built up. His construction site needs to be healthy and strong. And you need to be built up. So he that speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up. And in the book of Jude, the scripture says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Wow. There's a lot every day that happens in our life that pulls us out of the presence of the Lord, that makes us feel separated from God. A lot of it, we are things we do, a lot of it are things that happen to us. But regardless of, of which way it, uh, it happens, the fact is that it's important that we know how to keep ourselves in the love of God. Jude said, praying in the Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. Paul had written to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. And so being a new creation in Christ, now hear this because this may be the first time you've heard, heard this, but I bet hearing it you're going to say, boy, that's, I've experienced it. I can see that. It's in the Word. Being a new creation in Christ, it takes God's supernatural strength, God's supernatural strength to lift your soul to take hold of God or to pray effectively. I cannot pray effectively. I cannot take hold of God in prayer just in my own mental and emotional strength. Some days I'm really up, but most days I'm not, and that's just the way it is in the world. And so in Isaiah, for example, there's a verse that says, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. You see, God knows that for you to be at peace with him, you need his strength to be able to come to him, to be able to speak to him. And the first thing that God did was to give to the church an ability to express themselves individually before God and vent, if you will, express, if you will, that newborn, new creation within them without having to be restricted and limited by earthly understanding. Have you ever been in prayer and maybe you, you're praying for something that you've messed up and you're asking God to forgive you and so you're on your knees and you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I've messed up, please forgive me. And the, the voice inside your head saying, shut up, you know you don't mean it. <laughs> oh, you know you're going to do it again. You see, that's your vocabulary. That's your, that's your emotion. If left to yourself, every time part of you wants to climb out of the bucket, the other part's going to grab and pull you down again. That's why you can, when you're crabbing, you can take a shallow big pan and throw all those crabs in there and you think, well, they'll just, they'll make a crab ladder and they'll get on one another's back and they'll climb out. It never happens. They don't do that. The minute one crab gets to the top, the others grab them and pull them down. No, me first. No, me. And so they'll never get out of there because it's their nature. They just pull one another down. So they can't get out. It's possible, but they can't do it. You got to take them out. So God knows our natural inclination is to pull ourselves down. And um, if, if prayer and laying hold of God were left simply to our ability to figure out what to say, we'd be arguing with ourselves more than we would be fellowshipping with God. And so tongues is a way of letting that, that desire, that hunger be expressed. The Bible says, he that prays in unknown tongue edifies himself. In the spirit, he's speaking mysteries. It's letting that heart express. And you know, that's, a, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a pretty good thing. That's, that's like Peter stepping out of the boat onto the water. We humans don't walk on water. Water swallows human beings, right? But he did it. Humans don't talk without knowing what they're saying. We, we used to get in trouble doing that when I was a kid. My dad would say, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Go, go to your room. So you don't want to talk and not know what you're talking about. This is not talking and not knowing what you're talking about. This is the, that born-again inner man, inner woman, saved, 
reaching out to worship and to praise and to magnify the Lord and the Lord allowing you through that gift to be able to express yourself. And that Paul said, I wish you all could speak in tongues. He said, I speak with the Spirit and I speak with understanding also. A lot of times after I pray in tongues, I know exactly what I ought to be praying in the natural, which I didn't know a few minutes before. So it brings us to a place where we take hold of God's strength. Now, in, in Romans 8, the scripture says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not, do not know what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Another translation says, language and intelligible speech. Um, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I leave that with you. It is by itself, if that were the only use of the gift of speaking in other tongues, it would be absolutely well worth it. What a weird but ingenious gift, praise the Lord, to give to the body of Christ. Purpose number two, because i got to move along <clears throat> so that I can get all this in, is that coupled with the gift of interpretation of tongues, speaking in other tongues and interpretation of tongues equal prophecy. Now, not speaking in other tongues in the devotional sense. There is both a horizontal and a vertical application to this gift. If people don't understand that, they mess up 1 Corinthians 14. Completely mess it up. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the 14th chapter, where he talks about speaking in other tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, he was giving instructions for public services. He was not addressing, as his prime emphasis, your personal devotional life. He was talking about the church services. He was addressing in the letter issues that they were having in their assemblies, and that was one of them, and so he was dealing with it. And he brought out how that uh, if a person gets up, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, you can read it and find it there for yourself, but if a person gets, gets up in the service and gives out a message in tongues, now listen, um, I've been in plenty of prayer gatherings where I hear people praying in other tongues. I never think they're trying to talk to me. There's nothing about it that's directional on a horizontal level. I can tell they're praying. They're, they're praying to the Lord, so it doesn't bother me. I'm not expecting. But you can tell when someone jumps up and starts speaking in tongues out like that, they are addressing the public that's gathered there. Paul said, that's an authentic thing that happens, but sometimes it's not an authentic thing. It's just people getting emotional. So he was giving instruction about it. He said, if it really is the spirit of prophecy, and when we get to the gift of prophecy and, and that sign, I'll talk more about this and explain. But today, just let it be sufficient to say that um, when the, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the congregation in a particular person um, and wants to give a message in tongues and interpretation, why not just prophesy? Why not God just move on somebody to give a prophecy? Why move on someone to get up and give a message in tongues and then someone over here to give an interpretation? Uh, there's a number of reasons, and I'll, I'll just mention them briefly. Um, one is that the devotional use of tongues needs to be a little bit self-regulated so people don't think you're out of your mind. You don't want to be rocking around talking in other tongues and everything. Um, people are looking at you thinking, what in the world's going on? Um, but the prophetic use of tongues, the Bible says, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, is a sign for the unbelievers, just as prophecy is or the others. How is that a sign for unbelievers? It's a sign for unbelievers in that they are there in the gathering, and they see somebody's doing something. What in the world? What is that language? I don't understand it. Someone's speaking, and then another person gets up in a response. And if you've seen it happen, you know there's a connection between that expression and the interpretation. You can tell, wow, God is moving. God's doing something. Now, it is not the purpose of the signs to convince people that Jesus is Lord. The, the, the signs, and particularly the sign of speaking in other tongues or any of the other signs, are not 
proofs for people who don't want to believe. They're evidence for people who do want to believe. There is no sign that convinces people who don't want to believe that Jesus is Lord. So we don't judge the signs of the church by whether they have the power to convince people who don't want to believe. That's absolutely ridiculous. We could eliminate the gospel for that matter. We could say, well, let's just get rid of the gospel because people who don't want to believe absolutely disregard the gospel. God doesn't do things to convince people who don't want to believe. He does things and makes himself known for people whose heart is open and who want to believe. They just need to see a manifestation of his presence. And a lot of you are nodding because I can tell you could say, yeah, you know, that's that I saw that happen in my life. You know, tongues arguably is the most valuable of all the gifts of the Spirit. You may say, it's the least gift. And I also agree with that. It is the least gift, it is the weirdest gift. And, but I think while at the same time being the least gift that it is the most valuable, what other gift has been given to us by the Holy Spirit for the use of keeping ourselves built up? How good are you going to be for God to use if you're not built up, if you're not edified? So it may be the... the um, it may be the, the ugly stepchild in the signs of the church, but it is like some of those deep internal organs. It is essential and critical for that supernatural ministry that the Lord wants to bring through us. So that's why Paul writes, and then I'm going to go on and finish up with our third sign this morning. He finishes 1 Corinthians 14.39 by saying, Do not forbid or hinder speaking in tongues. I don't have the time to go in and present a theological argument why that's relevant today and didn't stop being relevant at 100 AD. But just suffice it to say, we still know in part, we don't know everything perfectly. So until that which is perfect has come, we are knowing in part. And so these things are for us today. God hasn't changed. All right, now the third sign of the church is, you ready for it? I wish I, wish I had David over there because this, this one needs a drum roll. Boldness. Everyone say boldness. boldness. There are 34 references to boldness in the Bible. Guess what? 31 of them are in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, which is way thicker than the New Testament, there's only three references to boldness. But in the New Testament, 31 times. And you should do a little word study. They connect boldness with everything. We were bold to preach. We were bold to pray. We testified with boldness. Everywhere you saw the acts of the church, boldness was working. In Acts chapter 4 and 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this was when they were hauled before the Jewish council and threatened and said, You better shut up. Don't be preaching in the name of Jesus anymore. Um, but Peter and John weren't disrespectful. They were bold. They weren't being brazen. They were being bold. Um, the Bible says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Boldness is a sign that you've been with Jesus. Let me say it again. I'm going to use English this time. Boldness is a sign that you've been with Jesus. Now, I know some people have what seems like boldness as a personality trait. That's not what we're talking about. Boldness is a projection of the Holy Spirit. So when Peter and John were hauled before the same court that only weeks before had ordered Jesus' crucifixion, boldness went with them. Boldness was evidence that people had been with Jesus. Boldness provides you with the traits and abilities that your personality lacks. There are many people hearing this message this morning who do not have a personality that is consistent with the manifestation of boldness. If, if in their comfort zone, they're much more comfortable hanging back and letting other people 
speak up or, or act out. You know, they are more comfortable in being in the background. And there's nothing wrong with that. God makes us all a certain way. But remember, these are the supernatural signs of the church. And so it's important that we understand that boldness is not just given to people who tend to be bold. Any more than the gifts of healings are given to people who have a medical degree from Yale Med School. Um, the sign of boldness was evidence that the mighty hand of God was lifting men and women far above the limits of their own courage. It was supernatural. Boldness pushed Jesus' fearful disciples out of the comfort of anonymity onto the public stage of God's calling. That's how they went out. That's why he told them to wait in the upper room till you're filled with the Holy Ghost because he knew that if he, if he left it up to them, only people like Peter would go out. And we're not sure how bold Peter was because he did when he was confronted by a little girl at Jesus' trial. He said, I don't know who he is. Right? So he was bold sometimes, but then when they confronted him, now John, on the other hand, he exhibited some real boldness, one of the sons of thunder. But the idea of, of the preaching of the gospel or being a witness for Christ, God never intended the bold people who were naturally bold to go out and do that sort of thing. Oh, he's just, a, we all knew he was going to be a preacher. That's just totally absurd. It's ridiculous. It undermines and undercuts everything that the gospel's about. The gospel is about the transforming power and effect of Christ upon a person's life. You see people under the power of God, you think, wow, I wish I was more alive. You know, maybe if I'd have, you know, prepared myself or gone to school or whatever. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. That person is manifesting the things of the Spirit, the signs of God. So under the sign of, of boldness, God uses ordinary people to open the prison doors of sin with the gospel. Um, the Apostle Paul said, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I may make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You know, Paul was a sharp guy. He was capable of speaking. He was really educated. And I'm sure he was quite an effective orator. Yet, look at what he says. Pray for me so that I might make known with boldness, as I ought to, the mystery of the gospel. Paul knew that any effect he would ever have at sharing the gospel would have to come from the supernatural moving of boldness upon him. Paul didn't get up and, and uh, you know how a boxer works himself up back in the, in the room or whatever, or a football team in the locker room, maybe during halftime they've been down and we saw in the Super Bowl, you know, these comebacks, they work themselves up. That's not what God had in mind when he saved you and I, saying, I just want you to work one another up and get yourself all stirred up and go out there. That's human ability. That's human power, human strength. But I'll tell you what really shows forth the greatness of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you see somebody who you know naturally is just not inclined to being bold. Now, there's some people, every time you go to the Bible study, every time you go to the prayer meeting, every time you go to the oh, yeah, we know so-and-so is going to. Yep, you can just set your clock by it. It is naturally outgoing. They're going to prophesy. They're going to speak in tongues. They're going to do this. They're going to share that. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's all natural stuff. We're talking about the signs. We want to see those signs. Can you say amen? amen. So um, let me just sort of bring this uh, idea of boldness to a conclusion. The word boldness, where it's used throughout the New Testament, where it talks about they were filled with boldness, um, in the original Greek text, I looked up the definition and I brought it with me. It's outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, publicity, um, confidence. We're talking about being outspoken, not naturally, but under the power of the Spirit. So think about it. God could move upon you with boldness and you would be outspoken. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced in life the spirit of boldness coming on you, and you're thinking, wow, was that me? I would have never gotten up and done that. 
but you got up and spoke or you did something, you expressed something, and you know that it was the boldness of the Spirit. And you were amazed because it was different than your nature. Some people, you know, like I said, who are just naturally outgoing, God's got to knock them down a little bit before he can even. He's, it, he's got to work the other way. He's got to put them under restraints and break that natural thing in them. So, all right. Um, you know, <clears throat> before risking big steps, taking great courage, making big investments, the human mind wants favorable natural conditions, smart strategies, finances, the assurance of support from others. But God has given us the sign of boldness to help you keep up with the Holy Spirit. If you don't let the, the boldness of the Spirit move in your life, you're going to just default to the natural mindset, which is you're going to be looking for favorable conditions, agreeable people, support from others, smart strategies, and not, le not la last but not least, money. I know I'll obey God when the finances come in. We not, because those things give us courage. Someone has a smart plan. I won't be alone. Conditions are just right. Those are the things that give us confidence. But God's, God sends his people out literally against those conditions. When those, those things are in the worst state, worst conditions, God will raise you up with a spirit of boldness and have you speak and have you operate. Praise the Lord. So how many of you are interested in the spirit or the sign of boldness operating in your life? Glory to God. Amen. I know I am, and I'm just naturally, you know what I'm saying. So uh, you can close your Bibles. We're going to wrap up this morning with uh, just a group prayer. And I just would, um, my, my desire is that we would simply pray and say, Lord, Help me to desire these things. And secondly, whatever might be in me that is resistant or needs some help or to be moved out of the way or is an inhibition to speaking in other tongues or, or the sign of boldness, Lord, show me and help me with it because I sure want your sign showing up in my life and operating through me, praise the Lord. And I'll tell you what, if you ask God, God is good. God, the church is not always open 24-7, but God's open 